this is I'm Dealing With. I'm your host, Sean Bowden. I thank you in advance for listening as we dive through discussions that we men deal with on a daily basis. Strap in, hold on, and here we go. Hello, good people. Thank you and welcome to I'm Dealing With, the medium that caters to men and the women that love us. I am Sean. Let's dive right in. Okay, so a little bit about uh, who I am, my background. You know, I'm uh, the youngest, well, the youngest boy out of three of us. I have an older brother and a younger sister, so I am the middle child out of the three of us um you know and uh, this type this um, portion of the podcast will be entitled the discovery what is the discovery um it's the moment when you really think about why why you're here why um you've gone through some of the things that you've gone through why uh, you've hurt or have been hurt like you are, why you do what it is that you do or don't. Um, you know, I've had plenty of time to really think over my life and um, some of the things that I've gone through in my present, but also in my past. And in that discovery, you know, you begin to think about some of the things that um, you have put yourself in, uh, some of the decisions and or choices that you've made, uh, put yourself in precarious positions. But while I'm talking about where I am currently, uh, let's backtrack a little bit. Um, you know, I thought about this, this has been coming to me for a while about this medium and dealing with men because men, we have a tendency to put on a good face in front of our boys, in front of our buddies at the barbershop, the work life, uh, when we're power CEOs, entrepreneurs, um, whatever it is that we do, maybe doctors, lawyers, whatever that is. We put up a nice face, a nice business front, you know, and nothing seems to bother us. But nine times out of ten, behind closed doors, when the windows are rolled up, when nobody's there on that long drive home when you're commuting, or maybe sitting on that train um, to go meet that client or whatever, we have plenty of time to think about how we truly feel about ourselves. Or maybe the things that we have or have not accomplished. And we think to ourselves that we should be a lot further along than where we are. Or um, could be marital, spousal, children, the lack thereof, education, uh, money, housing. So in my quest, in my journey, I've really had to take a step back and look at me. And just be honest uh, with me. 
And many times, sometimes we're just as men, we're not honest. So ladies, for those of you that are out there and you're listening, <clears throat> we hold a lot of stuff in, you know, women tend to be more open. They tend to be more radical in their way of how they communicate or effectively communicate. And, um, they reach out to fellow women for help. They reach out to um, their mom, their sisters, their girlfriends. And they'll sit around at the nail shop, the barber shop, maybe at the winery, maybe even at church, maybe in uh, a support group. And they'll talk about the things that they go through or the things they put up with or the things that hurt them. But where do men go? Where do men go to get support? And the hard part is we want to feel manly when we share our insecurities. We want to feel manly when we're truthful. We want to feel still manly and not weak when we say we have trust issues, when we say that we're hurting, when we say that that didn't feel right. When we say we really miss our father or our mother or and we still want to feel manly. We still want to feel like that when we share. We can share without being talked about in the street, without it being on social media. We want to share with somebody who is also manly, who can understand from our standpoint of where we are. And many times there's no one else out there that'll do that for us. So as I go through and talk about, and forgive me, I have <coughs> this cough I've been really been dealing with and I've really been trying to get over. Uh, so forgive me. And uh, hope it doesn't bother you too much, but this too shall pass. <coughs> But we tend to want to be able to talk to somebody who can help us, help us get through, help us get over, help us not lie about it, not put it, put it under rugs, but help us through uh, the turn the t tornado, help us through this twister, this trial of life, help us through this Red Sea that we go through. And after all, the man is the one that's supposed to be the, you know, especially if you're a family man, if you have a wife, a spouse, or children. You know, the man is supposed to be the pillar, the one that's supposed to be the most encouraging, the man that's supposed to be strong. And most of the time, we're strong for everybody else but us. And uh, we smile, and, and we laugh in a group settings, and we enjoy ourselves. But many times, secretly, we're crying. Secretly, we're kicking secretly maybe in the shower screaming secretly we're bleeding while leading I hope this has hit somebody I hope this uh, what I've talked about so far has got your attention ladies we struggle we're not always the most uh, strongest we're not always superman there are a lot of things that become our kryptonite. There are a lot of things that make us weak. There's a lot of things that make us 
bring our manhood into question. Sad part about it is when we want to share, the hardest thing is knowing that we'll have the support when we share. How do you share it to somebody that's going to talk to their girlfriends about it? Or maybe in the beauty shop. Or put it out there on Facebook, social media, Instagram, or whatever the case may be. And then we want to share it to our buddies, but we don't want them to make us feel weak in the basketball court, the racquetball court, or in our Fortune 500 companies. We want the help. It's not like we're scared to ask for it. But we're scared of being vulnerable. Because we don't want to feel weak. Or made to feel weak. When we open up and become vulnerable. So I ask that as we go through these different episodes. These different trials. These different discourses of discussion. That you open up your mind. And begin to understand that men have problems too. I know there's always the things that are open. Oh, he's a cheater. He's no good. He's a crack addict. He's a divorcee or she left him. He can't be trusted. Those are all the, some of the things that you see out the open. But what about the things that he doesn't talk about? What about the things that made him a drug addict or helped him get there? What was the thing that made him cheat or leave his wife or why she left him or why he's not in the child's life or the children's life? Or what about the things that caused them to not be trusted? Or what about the things, what was it that led him to that? Many times it's not the things we look at the, the big thing now, but before it was a big thing, there was a small thing. And because it was never addressed, there were different outcomes. So how do we affect and go through and deal with the simple fact that there are small things that if we get through these and discuss them, that it doesn't become a big thing later. So let's go through some of these small things. Like I said, I'm a middle child, older brother, younger sister. I was brought up in a middle class family. Not rich, not poor. But we were able to give. And I thank the parents that I had who didn't allow us to just get everything. They made us work for everything that we wanted. We had to work for it. There was no easy street. We had chores. There were weeds. We were taught to cook. We were taught to clean. We were taught to do our own laundry. We were taught to dust and clean the bathrooms and all these different things. And Lord knows we hated it. 
But before we got there, there's a little kid, a little boy with curly hair <clears throat> who decided or was given the decision or the option to go to school. And it started in kindergarten. And in kindergarten, he had a teacher by the name of Mrs. Mills. Mrs. Mills, oh, Mrs. Mills brings back so many memories. And if you're listening to, I'm sure, if you go over the course of your life, there's somebody in your life, both good and bad, teachers, mentors, who bring back memories. But M Mrs. Mills brings back so many memories, as if it's right here, right now. And even when I think about that moment in time, I get a little choked up because it was brought back to my remembrance that there was a tremendous discovery in myself in kindergarten. And I think this is when I can truly say that I had problems. In kindergarten, however, there were two people that changed a lot of my life. Some for the better, some for the worse. And they say, you know, through time you can always change. I'll oh, just grow out of it. But sometimes there are some things that sticks with a child even through adulthood. And it's hard for them to get over. And though some things you do get over, there are some things that stay with you. Even as a grown man, 50 years old, and there's still some things that stay with you. 65 years old, there's some things that stay with you. 80 years old, on your way to your deathbed, and there's still some things from your childhood that stay with you. Miss Mills in this kindergarten class. She was an older Caucasian lady, very small. I mean, she was old. When I think about her now, she probably should have retired 20 years prior. She had to be at least late 60s, 70s, a kindergarten teacher. She was very forward. She didn't bite her tongue. She said what she wanted to say and didn't feel any way about it. Mrs. Mills was from the old guard, the old way of thinking. She didn't have that passion for children from different ethnicities. She took care of her own, if you know what I'm saying. I remember one day, in this particular class, I was given instruction and being taught. I was given it was a cut. It was a um, a rectangular ring that had a net, a yellow net, built into this net. Um, it was yellow in color. What you did was you were given a certain type of needle, 
It wasn't like a real, real sharp needle like you would, like if you're sewing clothes, but this was a needle for like doing thread or yarn, what have you. And you would pick out your yarn, your favorite color yarn, and you would put it through this particular needle and you'd weave the needle through this yellow um, rectangular um, thing that she gave you and you created your design. Mine was, it had, of course, the background color was yellow because that's what we were all given. <coughs> and we were able to choose our own color yarn. Mine was blue. And it was at that time I realized my favorite color was blue. I chose blue and began taking this needle and yarn and weaving it through um, my yellow template that I was given. And I'm holding it and I'm weaving, having a good time. And the two individuals I can speak about, um, there are two young ladies, young girls that I was very fond of. And um, we'll just call their names M and D. One was M, one was D. And I liked them. I liked them both. But I didn't understand. Again, we're talking about a kindergarten boy who's just fascinated with life, fascinated with things, fascinated with doing things, want to be a part, feel loved, feel um, that you're part of something. So I began to work with both M and D as they were working on their patterns, I was working on mine. There were multiple desks, because even though most for the most time, most of the time we sat on the floor on this carpet, all of us as a group, as a class, there were group tables, I believe somewhere round, somewhere rectangular in nature, and you stood around these tables and you worked together, or sat, sat in the chairs around and worked together. And I believe there was five or six of us at this one table, and three of us happened to be myself, M., and D, and then there were others. And we're having a discussion and a good time about what we all were making. It's amazing you you realize it, but you don't realize it. But sometimes people can be taught to be so cruel and unusual. I remember one boy came over and began to talk about what I was making. Talked about my design, that it wasn't good, and this, that, and the other. You know, and again, we're kids. It's, it's no big deal. It's not such a big deal at all. But it's what happened next that shook me. The boy came over and began to 
push me back away from the table and grab my working piece and my yarn and knock it out of my hand. And for those of you that have known me or know me, I'm not, I don't consider myself a pushover, but yet and still, I've never been one to start anything. However, in this moment of time, I wasn't happy at all. And when the boy pushed me back and slapped the, or knocked out my artistic piece out of my hand, I pushed him back. And the sad part about it is when I pushed him back, the teacher only recognized me pushing him back, never saw what he had done or what he did. But it's not what she said that matters, it's what she did. And what she did was she took the piece, she came over, broke us up, pushed us both away, separated us and pushed us real hard like we were grown people pushed me harder than him and then she took the very thing that he knocked out of my hand and she took it and slapped me over the head with it a kindergarten boy getting hit over the head with an artistic item by a t-shirt in front of his constituents in front of his classmates in front of two people that he was fond of. I can honestly say it was not a good moment for me. And I realized in that moment that was the very time when the place, when you should feel safe When you should feel that you're being taken care of. When you feel that someone has your best interests at heart. And you lose it. When you feel that the very thing or the very ones that you idolize that have you in their hand. And you think that they are holding you in their they're uh, rubbing your forehead or rubbing your head to make you feel comfortable. They are the very ones that mis completely mishandle you. What do you do? Well, at that age, I didn't know what to do. I just knew that I cried. I knew that I wasn't happy. I was embarrassed. I felt ridiculed. But that didn't end it. That was the start of everything that came after. <clears throat> and it wasn't what she just did, but it's what she began saying. Called me out of my name. 
in a nutshell as if I wasn't worth it, in a nutshell as if she was wasting her time on me, in a nutshell as if that I didn't belong, in a nutshell that my color, my countenance, uh, my curly slash afro looking hair did nothing for her at all, as if because I was beneath her socially, maybe economically, maybe because she felt that I was beneath her because I didn't match her skin color. Maybe she felt that because of what she thought she saw, that I wasn't worth it. Instead of, by chance, putting it to the side and then asking somebody what had happened, how did we get here? She took the assumption and made an assumption that this poor black African-American boy has nothing on his mind but to damage and destroy and ridicule and start fights and he's no good. And we wonder sometimes what happens to our men, regardless of race, color, and or creed. We wonder what happens to them sometimes. And it's not always because of what they've done. It's what led us here. What leads you to some doing some of the things that you do? What has led you to walking out? What has led you to having crying tears sometime in the shower? What has led you to thinking about committing suicide sometimes? What has led you to... Um, being unemployed or maybe even being homeless or maybe not having a loved one. What has led you to feeling as though you're not worth it? I know I felt very vulnerable. I know I felt that I wasn't worth it at all. I felt very bad. But her vo vocal inc incantations that she was uh, demonstrating her toward me just hurt it was it was it was mind-blowing the way it felt to this kindergarten child I wasn't raised like that it was um, my mother was the disciplinary between both her and my father my mother was the disciplinary my father was the last resort parent. That was when my mother said, you know, I'm had it up to here. I'm not dealing with you. When your father gets home and you knew that you were in trouble when your father got home. But here I am. I'm not at home. I'm in a public society, a public school where I should be learning. And I'm getting hit. I'm getting yelled at I'm getting belittled in a place where I should be learning and I'm learning the wrong things from the person who's teaching me hmm what have you learned along the way from the wrong person who's teaching you men 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 what have we learned or picked up along the way from somebody who's been teaching us We've been following under the wrong leadership sometimes. And it's helped mold and make us to who we are. And we carry some of these burdens, some of these issues. My discovery was a simple fact of where I should have been safe. I was not. 
where I should have been um, taught, where I should have been schooled, where I should have been um, enlarged, where I should have been broadened, where I should have been stretched. I was shrunken. I was mashed. I was hit. I was put down. I was buried and felt like burying my head in the sand. And it wasn't enough to know that publicly and physically I had my own issues because I never liked my smile. To this day, I we laugh quite a bit when something's funny, but even today, I don't smile so much because I don't like the way my smile looks. I don't like what my mouth looks like. It's a personal thing that I deal with. So even though I had my own personal things at the age of a kindergartner, I'm also belittled and trampled on and trampled on and stomped on and hit in the head and discouraged and uh, belittled in front of fellow constituents. But what made it worse was when she did what she did, those that were around, that were there at the table, began to tell her that, hey, he had nothing to do with it. He started it, and so-and-so started it. It wasn't him. He, This person came over, but she did not listen to anything anybody else had to say. It was my fault. Oh, if I can just continue to talk to all you men or maybe ladies who love your men who are listening, who are dealing with a man who's always been told it's his fault. He's only trying to pick up the pieces. He only reacted to what was given to him. The action generated his reaction. And then it's all the man's fault. And many times anything that happens in the home or without the home, it's the man's fault. And man, I'm here to let you know. Not everything that you're going through is your fault. Yes, mind you, we have made some bad decisions. Yes, we have made some bad solutions. And yes, we have uh, been hasty. And yes, we have been quiet. And yes, we have um, not done some of the things we should have or done some things that we should not have done. But it's not always your fault. If you would take the time in and think about and go back to that time where there's a discovery in your life. You discover the first time you actually like somebody or you discovered the first time you had a great teacher or you discovered the first time you had an issue or a problem. Sometimes it's in that discovery that helps us heal. So what will you do in your discovery, men, ladies, those who are listening for their man, or maybe those of you who are listening because you just want to hear what does a man think about? What does a man go through? What does a man Offer What does a man's perspective have to do with me as a lady? Well, guess what? If you have to deal with a man, you're going to need to know from a man's perspective how we actually feel. Because men and women think differently. 
when a woman says she loves just men, that woman will make sure you have the proper underwear. Sometimes she'll go through your drawer and make sure and look and see if you're low on underwear and look like look and see if you're low on t-shirts and look like you uh, see if you're low on tank tops maybe check your sock drawer maybe make sure certain things are in the cabinetry and then some of the treats you like and some of the things that you use oh she'll look and go through the cabinet and see if you're low on deodorant or uh toothpaste or maybe it's time to replace your toothbrush oh and she'll come back home because that's how she shows she loves you. She'll say she loves you and then make sure that you have a good cooked meal. Maybe cook your favorite. Maybe stock up on your favorite juice in the fridge or your favorite snack in the cabinet because she loves you. But a woman also likes to hear it. She loves to hear you say you love her. Men, we don't always say that we love you. We sometimes, what we do, it's not in what we say, it's what we do. Woman loves to hear it. A man just likes to show it. We show it by paying the rent. We show it by making sure the car is maintained, the oil is changed, that there are no flats on the car. We show it by making sure the grass is cut. We show it by coming home. We show it by making sure that things are paid and nothing gets cut off, even though we don't say necessarily that we love you. That's how we say to the women that love us that we love you. So if... Women are on the FM station and the man is on the AM station. It's very imperative that we figure out how can we get the FM and AM to talk to each other. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you're listening to this audio medium, if you're listening, I hope you're getting something to understand that. A man's perspective counts too. A man's perspective, we also need to go somewhere and get help. We need to talk to each other. We need to be able to deal with each other and get the help. It's not every day that we can just walk down the street and talk to somebody about what we deal with. Oh, yeah, there are plenty of TED Talks and different people. There are pastors we can listen to and listen to a message about healing, a message that we can talk, that we can hear about love. But where can we just listen and say, hey, in your next audio cast, in your next discussion, can you talk about hate? In your next discussion, can you please talk about how my child just came out and I don't understand how to deal with it. Can your next podcast, can you tell me about how I just lost a child and or a loved one and I'm struggling? My parents are gone or I have a drug addiction and I'm trying to get through it. Can you just talk about that? I don't have to know your name. I don't have to know what you're going through. But if there's some way somehow that you would love us to talk about a situation reach out reach out if not to me if not to who I'm dealing with reach out to somebody there's always someone 
that would love to hear and be there for you. Who actually has your best interest at heart. And if you want to know who has your best interest at heart, look at your sphere of influence around you. Most people around you can be judged in several different categories. You have your outer court people, those that will um, be around. You can say good morning and how do you do and maybe talk about the news and what's going on in the nation. Maybe the stock market, maybe sports. You have your inner court people that you talk about your family. They may know your child and your wife on a first name basis or maybe know your children on a first name basis. And, and you can discuss certain things and maybe go over their house or they may come over your house and, and you got to have a good time and watch the game and just be, just be able to fellowship. But then you have the Holy of Holies people. Those are the ones where you can talk about everything and anything. And you know that when you leave their presence and when they leave your presence, what you talked about stays between the two of you. Everybody needs somebody in the Holy of Holies. And if you're blessed, one to three people will be in that area. Make sure you're not telling your outer court people what only your inner people, inner court people should know. Make sure you're not telling, make sure you're not putting your holy of holies people on the outside and make sure you're not putting outside people on the inside because you'll find yourself disappointed, upset and ticked off every single time because you had people in their wrong categories and not everybody comes in your life to stay. Some people, men, come into your life for a season. Some people come into your life to help you through what you're going through. Maybe it's educational. Maybe it's dealing with the workplace. Maybe it's dealing with parenting. Maybe it's to help you with your children. But they're not always there to stay. And you have to also know when their season is up. The hardest thing in the discovery is to know who is for you and who is against you. Everybody's not going to have your best interest at heart when it comes to moving forward, to be an entrepreneur, to be a doctor, to finish that education, to be a parent, to be a star mother, to be a star father, to get relationships back, to maybe have a relationship, to maybe finish that high school or finish that doctorate you never want. Uh, that you never completed or whatever that is. Maybe you want to be a pastor. Maybe you want to be a leader. And not everybody's always going to support your decision. And sometimes you'll find yourself with the wrong people in your life and they, be, they begin to represent that crab barrel mentality that every time you want to get out the barrel, they're trying to pull you back down. And anytime somebody always begins to question every single thing that you want to do, it's not because they always care for you. It's because they don't want you to succeed. Inner core people will question you. Yes, they'll question because they have your best interests at heart. They'll question, hey, so why do you want to do that? Well, explain to me, what is your plan for that? And then how can I help you? See, inner court people, they know, I mean, inner court and the holy of holy peoples, they'll always be there to question, but then... Once you give them the answers to the questions, they'll always be there to say, 
How can I help you? Those that don't support you will question you and ridicule you and find every little loophole, every little hill, every little hole and put you in it and then walk away. And they refuse to offer help. The discovery is tough because it also takes an introspective on yourself. You have to do what is called a self-examination as well. And it's tough when you're doing a self-examination because you have to be very truthful. I'm going to say that one more time. You have to be very truthful with yourself. You have to be honest and say, I'm great here, but I'm terrible here. I was a great father, but I was a terrible husband. I was great at work, but I never showed up at home. My body was there, but my mind was somebody else or somewhere else. I remember in the church many times we used to have a saying that said, body in the pew, mind in the gutter. So when you take that self-examination and when you deal with that discovery of your true self, you have to be honest. Because you're not going to always have tens on every highlight reel. You're not going to have a highlight, uh, a score of 10 on every highlight reel. There are sometimes you're going to be a one, maybe a five here and a seven over here a three in this category and such and such, you're not going to get tens all the way across the board, which means in every single area of your life, there's plenty of room for improvement. Improvement in your marriage, improvement in your relationships, both foreign and domestic. And I mean by that is those that are close to you, but those that you also keep at arm's distance. Whether it be work-related or not, maybe in your professional life, there's always room for improvement. Maybe you need to work on being before people. Maybe public speaking is an area of improvement you need to work on. Maybe sensitivity. Maybe you have no sensitivity at all. Maybe you need to work on your self-esteem, liking yourself Loving yourself because it's hard to love others when you don't love yourself. It's not easy and it's going to take work. It doesn't happen overnight. But we do understand that this too shall pass with time, patience, practice, and for some of us, prayer. Truthfully, all of us prayer. But I want you to understand that you're not alone. We used to have a saying many, many years ago. You don't hear that saying anymore because everybody is about themselves. But the saying used to be, it takes a village to raise a child. That village has moved on. That village has goes into the suburbs. That village has moved into the garage where the car goes in, garage goes down, and they don't even know their next door neighbor's name because the village has separated themselves and only begin to focus on their own immediate household. So now the village is not helping to raise the child. The village is not helping to raise the girl, the boy, 
The village is not helping to raise this teenager. The village is now not supporting this new mom or this new dad. The village is not helping support this mature married couple. The village is no longer supporting this elderly couple who is now up in age because the village has lost their sense of caring. And I beckon unto each and every one of you that are listening. Don't lose the village mentality. I heard somebody say one time that I do what I do because if it was my wife, I would hope somebody would do the same for me. And that was said because a wife was stranded. She was pregnant by herself on the road and her car broke down. Dark. No one there. And a gentleman pulled over. Not because she was pregnant. But because it was a woman. And he pulled over and he says, how can I help you? She said, it's okay. I'm trying to reach my husband. And he goes, no problem, but I'm going to help you. What do you need? She said, my tire blew out. He said, if you have a spare in the car, I'll change it for you. He opens up the trunk, pulls out his own tools, grabs the four-way wrench, and begins to undo the lug nuts on the wheel. Lifts the car up in the air, takes the wheel off the car. Puts the spare, the replacement tire and rim back on the car. Puts back on the lugs nuts, torques them to a point, drops the car back down. He torques them completely up and makes sure that it's good to go. And she says to this man that helps her, she says to him and says, What do I owe you and how can I reimburse you? How can I ever thank you? And he said to her, I do this because I would hope that some other man would do the same for my wife. And I say that because as you're going through your problems, as you go through and deal with certain emotions, as you go through and talk about The pros, the negatives, the cons of marital family situations. Put yourself in another person's position. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I love the relationship that you have with your wife. Or I love how you work with your kids. Or I love what you do on your job. I want to learn how to be that productive, that productive member. I want to be an asset, not a liability. Take the time to mentor them. Take the time to teach one. To each one, teach one. Because it's not about them being successful and you getting the credit. It's about making sure that you can actually say, wow, 
I'm so glad they made it. I'm so glad their marriage is successful. I'm so glad that they became a business owner. I'm so glad that he finally became an entrepreneur. I'm so glad he got over that hang up. I'm so glad they got over that crack addiction. I'm so glad that he got over that pornography issue. I'm so glad that they, and then you can say, and I actually had a hand in it. And I tell you, there is no feeling like the feeling of satisfaction knowing that somebody became an overcomer because you helped them. Not because you were able to give them money, not because you were able to bail them out and hold it, hold it over their head, because that's what so many people do. They look at how I can help you, but how can I put my name in lights while doing it? That is not somebody that I ever want helping me in my life. I don't ever want somebody to stick a carrot and dangle it out in front, for, in front of me just to try to reach a goal. I want somebody to come alongside me to see my imperfections, to see what I need to change and help direct my change and be there to give me the pat on the back that I need when I'm doing a great job, but at the same time, give me a swift kick in the rear end when I need that too. And that's all in the self-discovery. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I much appreciate it. We'll be talking about so many good things. Maybe today's topic and our discussion has helped or inspired you. Please feel free to comment, like, add a thumbs up, and subscribe. If you're getting meaningful value from this platform, let's go through it, deal with it, and heal together. What are you dealing with? I can be reached at I'm dealing with at gmail.com. Also on Instagram and Facebook. Find me on several podcast platforms. The links will be listed. Be blessed, people. Thank you for listening to I Am Dealing.